When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply don't know any more about your name than Arch because that's what it says on the screen. But um, for everybody listening, um, a little out of my element. This is we're just doing audio, so going to have to focus because I'm a dipshit and don't know how to step out of my comfort zone. My One of my best friends, David, who's been on this podcast several times, uh, has always – I've known him for about a year, and he always pulls everything back to Warhammer 40K, which is like a name I recognize um, – I only just started gaming on PC about a month ago because he got me a gaming computer. I was an Xbox normie for like a decade and a half. And um, even now, no matter what we're doing, whether it's I'm interviewing a Delta Force guy or interviewing a guy that walked on the moon or whether we're gaming online and just shooting the shit, some, it's become a meme that like he'll be like, you know, Tommy, I'll be like, I get it. I, it's Warhammer 40K. And finally he was like, you need to interview this guy and have this guy give you like a rundown of what it is. So finally, after a year, I'm going to figure it out what it is, but because I'm rude and a terrible host, Arch, please introduce yourself, my man. Hello, I am Arch. Um, That is all you need to know. That's that's all we need to know. So take me through it. I'm I'm just going to hand it over to you. Like what, what is the way David explains it is it is the farthest extrapolation of war into the future it's everything dialed up and it's everything just you know you could almost say the cold war was like was like the end of the road of of it was the inevitability of war hyper powerful weapons deliverable from space the only way to survive was to build bunkers and mountains and then you just do a standoff the cold war ended but theoretically the standoff would just go forever like that's kind of how i look at it that's like the end you know you can only go so far you can only become the richest man in the world before you're just stacking more money. Am I anywhere close to the mark on it? Okay. So the question introduced me to 40K is a difficult one yeah. uh, because this is one of the largest yeah. science fiction and fantasy settings we have. Like um, Tolkien's work is piddly compared to this. <laughs> It is absolutely enormous, but the um, the basic idea was that this was uh, invented back in 1987 by a few British people who had ripped the hell out of Tolkien with the previous game, Warhammer Fantasy. And they figured, okay, well, let's put this in space and see what happens, and that's what they did. And it kind of just ballooned from there into this enormous, incredibly intricate, massive universe with a tremendous amount of lore and hundreds upon hundreds of books written about it and the setting. And it is about, well, humanity's hopelessness in the far future. Uh, Humanity is the largest nation, largest power in the galaxy, but it is a fading power under constant assault from both inside and out by aliens, by heretics, um, all manners of evil. And it is really the story about how humanity would react to being in such a desperate situation where 
being incredibly violent, aggressive, xenophobic, and merciless is literally the only way for human civilization to continue. So, so yeah, it's a, so it's an, it really is an, just an extrapolation of it's, it really doesn't sound too much like fantasy. It sounds like a pretty accurate extrapolation of like what we have been. And that's one of the interesting things about 40K. Um, it used to have one of the most internally consistent science fiction universes that we have because it was all built on very central themes. And that was what attracted so many people to it. There was a logic behind it. The space marines exist for these and these and these reasons. And even something like magic, for example, has been explained in great detail. We know how magic works in the 41st millennium, though we call it psychic powers there, more sort of magic. And that is something that a lot of people really glommed onto because um, many of our other currently popular universes, take Star Wars, for example, was never intended to be the thing it became. It was intended to be a, a silly war flick style thing in space. And then people loved it. And then they tried to make a universe around it. And a lot of it was very pell-mell. Um, like, for example, the fact that most of the weaponry was based off old World War II weaponry. Yeah, just with lasers instead of actual bullets. And hey, FYI, because there's not a, a, a camera and I'm not looking at you, I'm just kind of looking around. I don't want you to think that I'm like playing on a phone or doing something else. I'm just I'm just looking around. Sorry, keep going. Yep, not a problem. Um, for the audience as well, I do not have a camera hooked up to my computer. I literally just have a camcorder that I transfer data from when I do video. So uh, hey, that's man, why yeah. there's no yeah, that, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm 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 one step like removed from you. People are like, "How come I can't stream it?" I'm like, "Because I don't do it live. I record it and then I upload it." It's but yeah, so yeah, so it's yeah, so not entirely independent. So yeah, it's Star Wars with just um, it's like retro futurism. It's how someone from the past would look at the future. Like everyone will have a personal blimp. It's it'll be anti-aircraft guns with lasers. It'll be dropships. It'll be but instead of paratroopers, sorry, it's like orbital dropships. Is that is that kind of accurate? In ways, yes. Um, the biggest distinction from the more popular like Star Wars is that in 40k there is no good guys. Just like there are no evil guys. Everything is shades of gray. It's a very morally neutral universe. Like humanity will wipe out entire alien civilizations and not think twice about it, just like that civilization would not think twice about eradicating the humanity if they had the chance. So to go on what you said about uh, uh, magic, and you'll have to excuse me, I'm sorry if I'm interrupting, because um, I, I know literally nothing about this, so I am kind of going into this like a, like a kid, where Star Wars was more like you said, kind of a, it almost seems like a formulaic, like a, almost like a war rom-com slash Marvel movie in space. And then once it got big, people tried to build off of it. But like any big skyscraper or something, you can't go off of a shitty foundation. You have to set out from the get-go. So it seems like what you just said about uh, there is no good, there is no evil. That's a very, I mean, as I sit here with the American flag behind me, I'm still very aware of like we are in many ways an evil empire. But then again, it's like, is there an evil empire or are there is there just the nature of empire, whether it's opium or whether it's oil in the Middle East or whether it's rare earth minerals in Afghanistan? One power is going to rise. And if it doesn't, there is no kumbaya. 
China will just rise and demolish us. So it's very, it's zero sum. No one's good, no one's bad. It's just, I mean, truly, it's just Darwinian. Well, it's just the nature of morality. We judge what is moral based upon our current perception of morality, and that changes. Like, it was moral to bomb civilians in Nazi Germany because it was Nazi Germany. It, was, it wouldn't be yeah. moral to bomb random civilians. Yeah, it, it was just for shits and giggles. Yeah, yeah, firebombing Dresden, nuking Hiroshima, like needed to be done. Versus now, it makes the news when like a drone strike hits a wedding, which it which it should. But that's morality sort of evolving. Yes, and it's also the um, yeah. It's an incredibly complex question. Like a drone strike hitting a wedding, as you say. Like that is a major failure because of how advanced that weapon is, yeah. and the fact that like it's it's not even a war; it's the United States against goat herders. Like it's, it's the empire; it's the nature <laughs> of the empire. Yes, it's um, and that's that's what again attracts a lot of people to forty k. That fact that it doesn't have a clear cut morality. Even the um, the the people often portrayed as the heroes, the space marines, the guys in giant battle armor are religiously brainwashed and indoctrinated zealots. And these are not good people. Yeah. And yet they are also a necessary weapon. Without them, humanity would probably be eradicated. Yeah, and then you have to bring in the morality of it's okay here they're the brainwashed zealots who are going to slaughter everyone. That's not moral. Well, then what is moral? If you are in power and it is your species on a zero-sum game in a galactic war, is it is it moral to let your people die or to be the worst evil? We have to, what did, I mean, what did Winston Churchill say to the OSS and the Jedbergs? And uh, uh, um, what was it? Uh, uh, executive, senior executive, whatever the hell the, the British special ops was, go to Europe and light it ablaze. I mean, it was become the beast. It was like terrify the Nazis. It was show them true evil. You know, precisely. Again, it's it's one of those interesting moral quandaries that I never thought we'd be discussing seriously. It's like, okay, humanity's existence is at stake. Any measure is justified. Yet now we actually do have people who have entered into the setting under a lot of false pretense going like, oh, no, no, humanity's evil because it's trying to survive. But the the aliens are doing the exact same thing, though. Yeah. No, absolutely. It's I, I had on... Um... In, in December, actually, the last episode of last year, I had on a, a professor from, I think, Yale, uh, Samuel Moyne, who wrote a book called Humane. And it was about humane warfare. And it was, uh-huh. and I, you know, I, I, I thought he was going to come on. I thought he was going to be like a, a kind of like a super liberal guy. Not, not at all, man. I mean, very looks at both sides. I mean, I think he is a liberal guy, but like very is not, is not tunnel vision is like, do we make war more humane, but is, is making war humane in itself inhumane because we normalize it. We give it a certain window of acceptability. I mean, Curtis LeMay, uh, uh, Secretary of the Air Force under Kennedy and Chief of Strategic Air Command, our literal nuclear force, he said, if we're going to do war, do it excessively, I'm paraphrasing, do it excessively, do it with excessive force, slaughter and kill everyone in your path because that will end it, that will end it the quickest and that will actually be the more moral thing. And He's coming from the guy who led bombing raids over Japan. So, I, I mean, is it more humane to be humane or is it less humane? And ultimately, we are just kind of 
we are bacteria in a petri dish of the universe there's really no morality about it it's it's biological systems that need natural resources to reproduce because that's what they're designed to do like it it's kind of i don't mean to like detach from it you know it's all very good you and i are talking right now it's, a, it's an awesome Monday. It's chilly outside. Like it's, you know, it's full of like love and you can have friendships and excitement. And, but I mean, ultimately, are we not just like protoplasm with, with chemicals floating around? And that tells us what is, what is good and what is wrong. And I need food. And if my stomach's full, I can talk about peace and the humanity of war. But if I go without three meals, you know, I'm like, Hey, bomb the fuck out of the neighboring country. Let's go get some food. Sorry, I'm I'm rambling now, but yeah, it's it's all it's all relative. And I I agree. The um, the interesting part here is too, as, as you mentioned, we are currently living in a society of complete and utter affluence. Like we have never had more, and we have never had less to worry about. And so it is part of the human condition to then start asking the dumb questions, like do fish feel pain, and should we eat them? <laughs> what do they identify as? Yeah. Exactly. Meanwhile, like war is one of those very clear-cut things, in my opinion. The only good war is a short war, and the only short war is a brutal war. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what? I mean, you know, was a 20-year war in Afghanistan better than World War II? I mean, yes, and that we lost less soldiers, and and they lost less civilians, not to make light of it, but but I mean, is it? If it drags on for 20 years, but then robs $7 trillion of things that could have been used at home with infrastructure and education and healthcare. Yeah, I don't... I'll stop interrupting you, sorry. Uh, again, it's a 20-year war. Yeah. With all of that effect that that has on the economy, on the populace, <laughs> yeah. on the strain of the human mind in the country, the depravities of the, the civilization in Afghanistan, etc. I don't think a 20-year war is ever better. Now, you could also argue that, can you even finish such a war? Because the Russians tried the whole brutal thing in Afghanistan. And, well, how do you brutalize a people that has literally lived their entire existence under one of the most brutal repressive regimes currently ex in existence? Yeah, you can't out-brutalize radical <laughs> Islamic militants. It, it is a bit like stopping a waterfall with your hands. <laughs> Yeah. Now, in those cases, our, our really our only real option to win a war in Afghanistan is twofold: either just not fight it, or b it would have to be full scale cultural imperialism, literally a, a Starbucks every corner, forcibly converting the populace to being Americans. Essentially, that would be the only way, and that would be a fifty, sixty, seventy year plan. At which point, you got to ask yourself. What interest does America or Europe have in Afghanistan to engage in a 70-year-old cultural domination program? Like, should we? Majority, Do we need to? Majority of the world's fossil fuels, I would, I would, I would say. But or and a third option, thermonuclear sterilization. <sighs> See, that causes a lot of problems too, though, because now we're entering into the geopolitical stability situation. I didn't and say China that, and Russia would probably not sit by. Didn't say it was good, but <laughs> technically, if you wanted to end the war, theoretically, that would be the third option. You yes, you could have ended the war by the evening of nine eleven oh one. Theoretically, but theoretically, yes, yeah, yeah. So, 
So I, th- I think that's maybe what David was had been explaining to me is it really is just where we are now extrapolated indefinitely. World War One forever, right? In many ways, like for, again, the the uh, the cool thing about four K is that it is actually a remarkably how do I put it pertinent setting for the modern day because once you start getting into a lot of those questions that 40k does raise you do see a lot of those connecting lines like this is probably how humanity would act like what does this tell us about ourselves and hey 30 years ago nobody was asking any questions it was 40k was a cool setting with giant guns in space right let's have fun yeah and now, again, because we are in a civilization with such ridiculous affluence, we ask all of these questions. And it's also become a major political uh, thing as well. It's, it's interesting. Like 30, 30 years ago, people didn't really care about this. It wasn't a problem. Nobody, nobody was this invested in the political ideas or the philosophical ideas of our nations because everything was just running fine. Yeah. We didn't have a whole lot of problems. Yeah. Now we're starting to see a lot of these problems and they're expanding into our hobbies. And that's when finally people started to go, oh, hold on. Why? Yeah. I was just having fun. Yeah. Why should you have to do this here? Well, yeah. Yeah. Um, my first podcast were just talking about UFOs and was Bob Lazar telling the truth. And very quickly it turned to me getting censored and kicked off YouTube. And it was, what is the nature of empire? What is, what is the balance between liberty and, and safety? And, um, uh, before I forget real quick, what you just said, though, makes me think of kind of like um, like the timelessness of like the Bible or the Torah or the Bhagavad Gita. It's like, no, Arch and I probably are not meeting in the town square and I'm not trading him salmon for whatever, freshly knit socks. But mm-hmm. the the timelessness of the, you know, don't rob from Arch, whether it's me taking your socks or whether it's you taking my iMac. It's the idea is, you know, take care of your brother, kind of respect your neighbor, you know, you really kind of toil and you will get, you know, just kind of these basic what goes up must come down, just kind of simple, timeless lessons. It's like uh, the way you're describing 40K makes it seem like Bible, Torah, Bhagavad Gita are all in the past. And we're like, these are these old examples that are still pertinent to 2022. This is just kind of the opposite. That one's in the rearview mirror. This one's way out on the horizon through the windshield. It's the 41st century or millennia or whatever. And it's kind of like the same parable. It's like, okay, maybe we're not shooting lasers and, and wiping out alien civilizations, but we are right now. We're kind of building up armaments on the border of Ukraine. It's kind of, is that accurate? Yeah, and religion is also a major part of 40K in that um, the Imperium is unified with a religion, the uh, the Imperial cult, with the God Emperor, which is much memed these days. <laughs> I think that's the first time I'd ever seen anything from, I recognize it, David sent it to me. I was like, oh, that's the big machine suit that you'd see all those like Trump art pieces in, where he's in the, the mm-hmm. giant, okay, all right. That's the God Emperor. It's also the, um, the the fascinating thing is you mentioned like religious text giving us lessons like don't steal, don't kill people. Sure. And these are just things that we have all accepted because they're 
good. You don't steal from people. Why? Well, because you don't steal from people. It's bad. But again, because we have arrived in this incredibly affluent society, we have created a class of people who then go, but why though? Why not steal though? Can you give me the moral reason for not stealing? And you deconstruct that point down to the level of, yeah, but a a human life is always more important than defending your property, right? So you shouldn't defend your property. You shouldn't call the police even because you might endanger the robber. And it's it's a ridiculous (sighs) deconstruction of these ideas, where in reality, don't steal is, is, is good enough. Don't steal is, is fine. It's a simple lesson for a simple truth. Yeah, it's, it's like I took physics in college. I was a biology major. And like, there's like a certain level of physics that you need to be applicable to like medical school. And it's just kind of your basic equations. You didn't necessarily need to go in and learn about the quarks and the gluons and whatever. Like, there's a certain level where it's like, dude, it's, it's good enough. Just don't steal. Just don't steal. Yes. And it is, man, is this the dark question then? Do we benefit from, so let's look at, let's look at me and, and I was pre-med. Uh, I studied all day, every day, rarely ever went out and drank, was at a party school, didn't do any of that, worked nonstop, um, meditating, eating healthy, you know, balancing my budget, just working nonstop, 4.0 student, got into medical school decided not to go uh for several years did nothing i I lost my older older brother to suicide right after i graduated in 2014 and i just kind of had no i didn't have to do anything my parents kind of took care of me they were like hey you know whatever take a breather if you have to and for like two years i had no struggle in my life i mean deep down mentally i did but i did nothing i gained a ton of weight I stopped taking care of myself. I mean, really even basic hygiene. Became a terrible boyfriend, a terrible family member, a terrible friend. Did Really did nothing to better myself and blamed everyone. I became suicidal myself, moved home to my parents' house in 2016. Several years kind of started getting better and then I wouldn't. And then I'd get a little better and then I wouldn't. And had like a catalyst in 2019. I won't go into that right now. But I started this podcast in December 2019. And it had been nonstop struggle to get this thing going. Parent, I know you didn't ask about any of this. Parents wanted to retire. And, you know, they're kind of like, hey, dude, you're 30. You got to get the fuck out of here. So it made me just work nonstop on this podcast. And instead of what I was doing for those two years right after college was a lot of like the philosophy of like, what even is hard work? What is like being a faithful like partner? Why should I be respectful versus the last two years has just been like, work harder, got to get the podcast to grow, constantly move, constantly adapt. Yesterday was a doctor. Today, I'm talking to Arch about 40K. Tomorrow, I'm talking to another doctor. I can't spoil it. And it's just work, work, work. I've, I've lost a ton of weight. I've, I'm saving money. I, I clean my apartment. I, I, I'm living like my best life. And it's because there's that aspect of like suffering, which to tie it all in is almost like when there's the overwhelming affluence, you can sit around and ask stupid fucking questions like do fish feel pain and why should we not steal versus when I don't really have time to do that. When I'm like, the podcast has to grow. I have to turn this into a viable business. I've, I've become a wildly better person, like an objectively better friend, a more respectful person, a, a more loving son and brother. And just in general, have been a better person, like given more to charity, like, 
And it's because there's that constant threat of like, I can't let this fail. To extrapolate that, do you almost need, do you almost need like war or suffering? Because otherwise we kind of become like Rome where we just eat ourselves stupid and then force ourselves to puke and fuck children versus like the golden age of like the greatest generation coming back from World War II and like the 50s and 60s of just relentless progress. Sorry for that little ramble, but is, are you picking up what I'm putting down? Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, Sorry for that. Again, the, the, that makes you a living example of this, doesn't it? Sure. If you, you do. You do need some hardship in your lives. It, it is unavoidable. Now, normally, we were getting this, a lot of this, through our, our parents. Like, this was our parents' responsibility to give us a good upbringing and teach us certain values. Like, um, my father, for example, would be like, okay, well, if you want this thing, um, I'll give you a job. And you can earn the money for it. Mm-hmm. Cool. And that teaches you that you need to do a thing to get another thing. It seems obvious, and yet that is a very valuable lesson that a lot of people have not learned in modern-day society. And again, it is because of the sheer quantity of affluence. It is vital that people see that hardship. Otherwise, they do begin asking the stupid questions, and we start simply just deconstructing everything. And I liken it to being on a raft, in the middle of the ocean. You don't want to start picking at the rope. It's probably not going to end well. <laughs> yeah. And and some people might say to Tommy and Arch, well, this is an inevitability. Once we get all this wealth, we're going to start doing this. Well, we're not in a vacuum. There are There's China. There's Russia. There are countries that don't have this wealth, that violently want this wealth. And whereas the wealth itself might destroy you, picking at the raft, there are other countries that are floating in the salty water with sharks, and they're going, I want to get on that fucking raft. Oh, absolutely. Because there's the thing, too. Is this inevitable in an affluent society? Almost certainly. Because it seems to be human nature, practically. But we are also living in a larger world. Yeah. And in the case of, um, of Russia, for example, Russia right now is in a situation where it's, it's happy enough to be Russia. And it'll, it'll make some noise here and there. It'll make some crap. It'll, it'll test the boundaries. Like, can I get away with this? Can I get away with this? China's a very different beast because whilst Russia is not in a position to challenge anyone truly militarily, China is. Yeah. Or at the very least, it is very close to being. And it will probably test its borders a lot more, simply because of the fact that it's also a lot more unstable nation. China is growing far beyond its capabilities. It is consuming far more resources than it can produce. It is, well, there's the, I don't know how much you know about the uh, the China economic bubble, but yeah, um, I, a lot of it has to do yeah, I've, uh, with the... Sorry. Yeah, I'll just, I'll just like give my point of view on it real quick, then you can talk about it too. Because... Uh, a lot of it is their infrastructure budget. They're using millions upon millions and millions of dollars, basically, to run massive infrastructure programs, somewhat similar to what a certain Austrian did in the early 1930s, but no well details. And this is exploding their economy. There's lots, there's tons of work, there's tons of money, everyone is growing affluent, they're bringing in tons of companies from outside because they give them benefits. 
And then they begin squeezing a little bit more and following a little bit more sanctions and controls whilst devouring tremendous quantities of outside resources. But the problem is that a lot of this is fake. You can't build highways for all eternity. You end up at a point where you have diminishing returns, and then we get to see how much of that Chinese economy is real. I, uh, this is episode 707, episode 161, I think. I had on Brigadier General Robert Spaulding, who was in Obama's National Security Council, flew B-2 Spirits. He wrote the book Stealth War about China's war on us, that they're winning mm-hmm. and that we don't even know we're fighting. And then... <laughs> Uh, That's his, a very good way of putting it. Yeah, and then his mentor, uh, uh, former Deputy Secretary of Defense, Michael Pillsbury. I never had him on, but I read his book, The 100-Year Marathon, about China. Um, but yeah, no, they talk about that. China poured more concrete between the years 2014 and 2016 than the United States did between 1900 and 2016. They're growing yeah. nonstop, the Belt and Road Initiative. But it is this sort of they're running on adrenaline. Like you can't take a break or you're going to pass out because you've been going for three days straight. It kind of seems like, is that happening? I don't know. Sorry. It, it does appear to. And you also got to remember all of this infrastructure, all of these resources has to come from somewhere. And most of it is coming from Africa. Like China has an enormous yeah. African colonial empire, yeah. practically. Yeah. And, Almost all of these resources that China needs comes by waters friendly to the West. And that's where China knows this. And this is what makes them so hostile to the West, because they realize that if the West starts going, hey, China, what are you doing? This this isn't fair. Then we might start taking countermeasures, at which point the Chinese economy will stagnate very quickly and probably crash even quicker. Like, if we were to simply go, oh, no, you, you don't get to send your shipping past India. We're not going to allow that anymore. There, there'll be war tomorrow because China can't yeah. accept that. Do you want to – Do wanna, I, I've got a, a conspiracy I formulated last fall um, based on nothing but wild speculation. Is Best kind. The best kind. is. Um, I think we looked at what happened with Russia and Afghanistan – and I think we looked at what, what we were doing and we were like, hey, even the military industrial complex was like, yeah, this isn't working. But the Middle East is full of Afghanistan is full of what? Not just oil. You could say, well, we're leaving the oil age when we're going into what? The electric age with what? Batteries, which you need rare earth minerals like lithium ion, which ironically enough, because I guess the universe has a sense of humor. Afghanistan is rich in. I think we left because we know China is going to be very tempted to put their hands in the cookie jar. And instead of doing a rerun of the Cold War where we fund the Mujahideen and we can't really hide it and so Russia knows and it becomes less of a covert thing and more of an open proxy thing, I think that's why we left like $80 billion worth of military equipment is we're just preemptively funding funding the rebels, hoping you can pull China into that quagmire because – if China will, who knows, maybe we start going into uh, Africa and start kind of countering their Belt and Road Initiative and all their extraction and the water, the waterways that you talked about. Do we force them to go to the other cookie jar, the Middle East, which we just saw with the Soviet Union and now the United States? You can't win there. Why not fuck China over and, and kick them into the crazy girlfriend relationship? Just wild speculation. 
There is a reason why Afghanistan is called the graveyard of empires. And maybe we saw that and we went, hey, let's let's take the let's take the loss on the chin. We're gonna do a terrible extraction. And then just prep it for China. Look at this. Look at this shiny object right in the middle of the bear trap. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> and there's also the um the cool part too. To um, keep it somewhat on topic, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, this is another thing that 40K often does too. Like There's a great deal of actual politicking going on because there's a lot of different agendas going on. And people want these different things and they're competing for resources in the macrocosmos of 40K. See now in the more microcosmos of our single planet. We need things. We always need things. And as you point out too, we are leaving the oil age Personally, I'm dubious towards this because, one, alternative energy is not ready to supply our energy needs. And two, the only people with the money to be able to pay for it to get all of the research done to get to that point is the oil industry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's kind of the problem. That, that's, and then that little caveat where it's like, well, why don't we just put more money into fission reactors? And it's shut up. And it's all right. I mean. All right, I guess we just won't do it. I mean, we could use this nuclear energy thing, which seems to be pretty damn safe, yeah, uh, incredibly clean and yeah. remarkably effective. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I know. Yeah. And, and I know even Eisenhower talked about atoms for peace. And uh, maybe we could have got started on that in that decade or the next one, the next one, the next one, the next one, the next one. And then that would be the next one. But all right, maybe we'll just kick it down the road. <laughs> Well, we'll go with the whole electricity thing first, because um, oh, there was um, there was a company nearby here in Norway that started doing uh, solar plants, um, solar panels, solar kind of stuff like that. Because that was the next big thing, solar power. Okay, that's cool. Uh, solar power is a lovely idea. You know, the uh, the infinite energy of the sun and that lovely. The problem is our current solar panels are incredibly ineffective compared to the square mileage you need. Yeah. You need to cover vast areas in solar panels to get even a fraction of an oil power plant or a coal power plant. And okay, the, the size itself isn't necessarily the biggest problem. You know, theoretically, we have a lot of unused land. All right, maybe. The problem is the specialized resources required in a lot of this in the batteries too. You mentioned like rare earth resources. We don't know how much rarer resources we have, uh, but we're already starting to wonder if we haven't used like half of this, which which raises the question, where are we going to find the things we need to electrify the other, you know, two thirds of the globe? Yeah, it'll be it'll be nuclear in the end, I think. If we don't kill ourselves first, as we suddenly stand there on the precipice, remembering, shit, we don't have enough energy. Well, our neighbor does. Yeah, well, our neighbor does. Speaking of energy, you said you're in, in, in Norway. I mean, there's a great book I read over the, uh, I think it was winter break, maybe it was summer, I don't remember, uh, called The Winter Fortress by Neil Bascombe. And it's all about the OSS. and No, no, sorry, it was the British who went in and blew up Norse Kidro, which was a hydroelectric power plant the Nazis were using to make heavy water to grow their, uh, to grow their nuclear, their nascent nuclear program. And that right there is you kind of see just the importance of energy, whatever form it takes. We went in and nipped it in the bud so that eventually they, they couldn't build a bomb. Sorry, little factoid. 
And there's also a really missed opportunity as well. Um, Norway, uh, the the Austrian painter had a lot of interesting ideas for Europe. Uh, one of which was that he was a very green individual focused on a lot of uh, reusable energy. His idea was to turn the Norway into an enormous water power plant, putting virtually all of our uh, countless waterfalls into pipes and running them through hydroelectric plants. Not the worst idea he's had, to be entirely fair. Uh, one that we've also done nothing to really capitalize on, because there are some other sources of alternative energy, like hydroelectric is very useful, it's very effective, it's very clean, and it's also fairly easy to set up. But we run into that ridiculous problem once again, where we're like, okay, we need electricity. Yeah, but if you put the waterfall in pipes, that'll look ugly. All right, but would you like to heat your house? <laughs> it, yeah, do fish feel pain? That's... Yes. That's kind of where we are. It'll look ugly, and it's like, dog, which one would... Yeah, it, I mean, sh- maybe war is good. And relatively, I mean, that, that's a very broad... Maybe you need that suffering, man. Maybe you need that that squeezing effect of, of evolutionary pressure to stop acting like a fucking idiot. Like, no more steroids and chickens. And it's like, okay, well... well Okay, well, now chicken's going to cost $20. What about the family that is used to buying it for $4 and that's all they can afford? Well, we don't want to use steroids and, and it's, okay, well, where do you live? Where's the guy saying that? Oh, well, you live in a, a home in Beverly Hills and you don't you don't know struggle. I don't know. Yeah, no, there, there's a lot of relatives like that which we need to look at. Um, another wonderful example, of course, is recently Germany decided to close down, I think, their last nuclear power plant because they made a promise to get rid of all nuclear power by 2022. And I think they managed to do that. Uh, in return, they've started digging tremendous quantities of coal, which they're now going to be burning in coal power plants, <laughs> which is brilliant. It's just, it's oh, the climate it's crisis safer. is yeah. accelerating. Yeah. Weird. Yeah, it's... It's got to make you think, man. You would think- it is the absurdity of it. And that's also uh, one of the cool things about the 40K, too, again, to keep it nominally on topic. Oh, yeah. Um, we're we're going to have to do we're going to have to do multiple episodes because <laughs> we are going Maybe. we're going left, to, which I enjoy. Sorry. Keep going. Uh, there's a wonderful novel called uh, 15 Hours, and uh, it's not honestly particularly good. I've read it. It's a mediocre novel at best, but I love the idea of it. Uh, the The premise is you've got a troop ship of Imperial Guard, the soldiery. They're being sent out to a front line, and there are new units, so you're going to be sent to a nice, uh, cushy assignment, relatively speaking. Makes all sense. But the Imperium is so unfathomably vast at this point that there are billions of troop shipments going out every day. And there are millions of servitors, like literal slaves, just hammering out reels upon reels upon reels of order numbers constantly. And one of them makes a mistake. And he puts a one in when there was a zero. And he's like, oh, God damn it. I'm going to I'm gonna have to go to my supervisor to fix this up. Like, it's so much bother. I'm, uh, I'm just not going to bother. It's, it's not a problem, right? And this leads this fresh regiment to being dumped into an absolute hellhole where the average survival time is the aforementioned 15 hours. And it's, 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 the, it's the joke is the scale. Like, it's, it's so large 
that such a small mistake has such enormous consequences on thousands of soldiers. Incredible amounts of time, training, and resources wasted because of one bureaucratic mistake in a system so large and groaning under its own weight, it is incapable of making logical decisions anymore. And that's where we are with Germany, where we are burning coal instead of nuclear power. Yeah, there's a an author I interviewed, David Vine, who I think was at Georgetown. I have no idea. He wrote a really good book called Base Nation. It's very critical of the U.S. military industrial complex. I thought it was fascinating just because of the logistics. But like one of the examples is like um, is like we had like these outposts, these like private military contractors in like Iraq. And we had these outposts with with soldiers or contractors there, and uh, the contract it was you know to keep morale high. They had they had some good meals instead of MREs. They had cooks and stuff, but to get cooks out there, they had to be guaranteed like safety. And if not, they had these crazy insurance payout. If they die, you know their family's taken care of forever. So the contractors are def- are heavily interested in these cooks not dying. So they'd always send out more contractors, but the contractors need more food. So you'd have to send out more chefs. <laughs> and it was after a while, they were like, what's this position for? Like, this is miles inside the green zone now. And they're like, oh, we got to take care of the guy making Cordon Bleu, who we cannot have die because we guaranteed him $10 million. So it's like, we have like X Delta protecting like Pierre. And it was like, yes, how long have we been doing this? It was like 16 years. And it was like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, like you said, yep. groaning under its own weight. Hey, Arch, tell everybody where they can find you. I really got to use the restroom. So just uh, w- welcome to ArchCast. Arch, take it away. Welcome to Arshcast. Uh Well, you can find me on YouTube. I have a big band yet, uh, both as just uh, Arch, which is my 40K law channel, and uh, The Arshcast, which is where I talk about more uh, pop cultural issues and a lot about, um, well, how we are currently doing in terms of pop culture. Uh, gatekeeping is one thing I'm a big fan of that I've done a series on because it is the only way we can protect what we have when it comes to, to hobbies. Something as simple as the ability to escape into Star Wars or Star Trek or Lord of the Rings or whatever it be. All of this is now yet another piece in this cultural war, this battle that we've currently got ongoing. Because back in the day, we figured, okay, well, we love these things, so surely everyone else should be allowed to love these things. And then a lot of people came in and they turned out to be massive assholes that decided, hey, I love this thing, but what if we change everything about it? And that's where we have arrived at today with... uh, Things like the Book of Boba Fett, the badass uh, bounty hunter who has himself a courtier of space scooters. Yes. It is an interesting situation we find ourselves in. A 40K2 is in this very same situation too, where the company that makes the setting, Games Workshop, has denounced their own setting as evil because the Imperium of Man fighting again for its very survival in the hostile galaxy that would like to eat it is defensive and militaristic. It is a very stupid thing. Like great wars, 
Archcast yes. has now been usurped by Tommy's podcast. The main the maintenance of Empire moves on. You had a brief moment in the limelight, and then I came back in and seats the reins of power. Um, it was worth it, though. It was worth it. Was it was a good show. It was glory. It was glory, and I regret nothing. Execute me. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't even remember what we were talking about. Back to back to war. Bases in America, yeah. Bases in America, yeah, yeah, yeah. Groaning under their own weight. Yeah, it is kind of like that, and it's but right, you you do see that where it gets so big that it then has to start sustaining itself. I mean, beware the military industrial complex and the councils of government, right? Eisenhower. You see where this goes. General Smedley Butler talking in 1933, you know, war is a racket. He was the most decorated Marine of all time saying that, you know, uh, I've, I've toppled governments in South America for like the banana companies. I've gone and made business friendly to, uh, Brown brothers, Harriman in like China. He, and he's going on and on and he goes, I used to have a hunch, but now I know, uh, what was his quote? Al Capone operated on in three counties. I operated on three continents. Like I know that this is a racket, but it becomes self-sustaining. Back to like the troops who are the brainwashed zealots, and then, well, if you don't use them and you let your women and children die, are you now immoral? You then have to start wondering. We are a war economy. We do other stuff. We export culture. We've got Tesla and Facebook and whatever. But I mean. Come on, $777 billion just the other week to the Defense Department, right? And that thing is going to keep growing and moving. And part of me thinks that we're almost letting China get a little bigger so that we can justify a war. Because that's the only way you can win. And it's, I know we're, I know we're deviating off the, from Warhammer 40K again, but like, Part of me sees that as like, okay, so what if we don't? What if I what if I get into office and I'm like, peace, love, guys, we're not going to do this. Do you think China's going to go? Oh, peace, love. I mean, we're not we're no angels. But China's got two million two million Uyghur Muslims in concentration camps. I mean, are we letting China's Belt and Road Initiative get bigger so that we have a reasonable threat so that we can get other nations to join us? Like right after nine eleven, scaring them using Saddam and WMDs. I know we're we're getting stuck in earth politics, but Arch, get us back on track. Well, it, uh, the the politics side of things is the interesting part, though. Okay. Uh, again, one of the things that Forty um, K does so well is that it actually does a good job of reflecting that universe's political situation, uh, and it asks many questions that we should be asking today. Like, okay, what if we do have an insidious threat, and we know? It is a threat. Like it tells us every day that it's a threat. Yeah. How long do we just sit by and wait for it to resolve itself? Because America, right, is in a position where it has an army and an air force and a navy much larger than it should ever require for its geopolitical situation. Even taking China into consideration. China's the only true military threat to the U.S., and the U.S. is still hilariously superior to China. There is no modern-day need to maintain the size of the modern-day U.S. industrial complex. And a lot of it would probably be benefiting 
humanity as a whole and the population if it was retooled into other things. But at the same time, it's also one of those problems where, okay, we know this is an issue, sure. Now how do we stop it? Like, how far do we go? Because in 40K, the insidious issue is chaos, which is this uh, magical corruption kind of thing. Because in 40K, the gods are real and the gods are very, very bad people. They, um, the easiest way to explain to them is like, they're basic, basic organisms. They live in a different dimension from ours and they feed on the things that happen in our dimension. Without us, they would be nothing. But they feed on our emotions, our state of mind, etc. So you have the uh, beloved god, Korn, the god of violence. He likes violence because that feeds him, and so as a base organism, he will try to expand, expand violence wherever possible, because that's his food source. It's a basic animal instinct. This in turn means that he's an incredibly destructive force, and one of the reasons why the 41st millennium is absolute hell on earth everywhere, with constant war and suffering. And so 40, um, 40K simply said, okay, well, we're simply just going to have to take this so seriously that we wipe out entire planets on the suspicion of infiltration by this force. Um, there are military regiments, the Imperial Guard, for example, and they are sent into the Eye of Terror, the place where the chaos is strongest. They can be perfectly fine, perfectly loyal, perfectly able soldiers, and the Imperium will kill entire regiments just because they think they may have been deployed for too long. That is the severity of the threat. Now, we are in not quite that severe a situation, but we do have a threat. We know what it is. We can see the negative consequences. But again, how much are you willing to suffer to deal with it? Like, what are we willing to do to deal with China? What are we willing to do to deal with the military-industrial complex? Where does the, uh, the pain threshold lie? Because, hey, you saw during the whole uh, the Voldemort virus pandemic, where initially people were, <laughs> this, this has probably been scrubbed from uh, public consciousness now, but do you remember Hugga Chinese Day? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Nancy Pelosi. Hug him. Yes. Hug him. Hey, tr- Trump's shutting down, Trump's shutting down uh, flights from China. That xenophobe. Yep. <laughs> that racist xenophobe. <laughs> I, which makes you think. Sorry, no, I'll let you finish. And well, no, I think you were probably heading towards the point there, but that, that's the point, right? We, the, even that was too much of a reaction for us. Okay, we, we've got a virus. People are telling us it's going to be a, a pandemic. Somebody shuts down the air travel to China. And because our pain threshold is so low in this, like we can't take anything, we immediately go, hold on, that's racist. Excuse me, why? So. Let's look at that pain threshold. We we did a nine eleven. I don't mean we. I mean we might have done it. I don't think we did. But let's let's just take nine eleven. It that pain was unbearable. It was insane. It was visceral. You're watching people jump from gold. Absolutely. And that is how twenty years later we can look back and go, why are we in the Middle East? But I was only eleven at the time. But I mean, you can look back and understand. You go, oh, like. How do you not watch that? And you can kind of just steamroll yourself into a war. Who's going to say no, right? Um, I, th- I Part of me thinks with COVID, and I love entertaining conspiracies just because they're fun thought exercises, so I don't necessarily believe everything I say. But what if you had to raise that 
pain threshold to where we know a pandemic is coming out of this place that lies about everything and has the great Chinese internet firewall. And then we're saying it's racist, go hug a Chinese. Man, I mean, that'd be like some Polish people saying, hey, all this fear about a blitzkrieg, go hug your local German. And then it's like, dude, you have no idea what's coming. Could this be, let's say you're in that that deep underground NORAD bunker, it's Tommy and Arch, where, you know, we're we're a level of military classification that we don't people don't even know exist. And we're looking at the nature of empire and we're going, hey, we are becoming weaker and this thing is becoming stronger and it's gonna wipe us out. It's just zero sum. Do you release do you release COVID to now everyone's feeling it? Not everybody lost someone on nine eleven. Everyone I know one person that died from COVID, but everyone knows someone. Everyone knows someone who maybe had a vaccine injury. Everybody, we all had to wear masks. A lot of people lost jobs, right? We're all suffering from inflation. My groceries have gone up tremendously since December. Do you have to raise that base level anxiety? We're all seeing censorship. Do you have to get all of that so that you can catalyze it and go, hey, Democrats, Republicans, we got to stop getting at each other. We now have, now have, it'll, we'll always have had it, undeniable proof this is from China, intentionally released. Is that how you bulldoze us into a war to keep the trundling machine going and to introduce suffering back into life so we stop talking about what gender is your parakeet? I mean, isn't it kind of weird that like the virus came right from and I'm not going in the normal sense. People are like, isn't it weird? It's from the from Wuhan and there's the Wuhan Virology Lab. Yeah, I'm looking at that as like, oh, that was the fucking CIA. Like, it's too cheap. Like, it came from there. It came from there. That's like finding the passport on the street next to the World Trade Center of the terrorists. It's like, hey, hold on. Like, if you wanted to push a war against a rising threat, wouldn't you release it? right next maybe it was from Wuhan I don't know maybe it truly was from maybe it was from a bat and a penguin I don't know again I don't necessarily believe these things but man if you're if it's Tommy and Arch you're in that deep underground NORAD and we're going this is for the survival of the nation this is for and thus you know and then who knows maybe we're just true believers but we go and thus the free world because we protect shipping lanes and for the most part the world is in a military it's not insane. It's not World War II. Do you go and release COVID to keep this, what we believe, maybe we're just opportunists or maybe we're true believers, to keep this American hegemony uh, epoch going on? And of course, you don't have a crystal ball and you can't possibly tell me the answer. But because we're speculating wildly, is there, a, I mean, is this, am I, am I kind of getting into the, the 40K mindset? Or no, just am I just horrifically off target? No, kind of. In fact, the um, the backstory of forty k is that um, back in the back in the olden days, before modern forty k, what we refer to as thirty k instead, the ten thousand years previous to the current timeline, the god emperor had created himself an army and was conquering the galaxy because he figured that was humanity's right, and he knew exactly what chaos was, and he wanted to wipe it the hell out. The only way he saw that as feasible was if he created a galactic empire where he could control as much as possible, since 
it draws power from anything human beings do, he needs to make sure that we are doing as little of what they want as possible. And to do this, he created his 20 Primarchs. Uh, These were biologically engineered demigods, practically, uh, named after, in many cases, various deities and uh, super-powered entities. The ultimate generals, the ultimate warriors, like three meters tall warrior gods, practically. And a couple of them disappeared under mysterious circumstances. And the uh, the remaining half of them fell to chaos after a long and involved plot uh, with a lot of conspiracy nonsense like this, uh, where Lorgar was the first to fall through a long and contrived uh, plot in many cases. I don't like Lorgar's backstory. It was written by a person I don't like, but details. Um, he fell to chaos after having been tricked into the conspiracy. And Horus, the uh, emperor's first son who would become to lead the rebellion against the emperor, was literally tricked by a, a vision of the future where he saw the emperor and his six brothers who remained loyal. And the demons whispered to him, hey, where's your statue? What, what happened? Did the emperor betray you? Well, clearly, I mean, your statue isn't here. It's a pretty cool little conspiracy. Is is back to what you were saying earlier about the the entities from uh, I guess a, a an extra dimension or dimension that we are not uh, conscious of our interaction with, which and this is again I don't believe everything I say, but just as a thought exercise, one thing I do think about is like kind of like Warhammer forty k where it's just an extrapolation of like what we know for a fact humans have done. I look at something like the Cold War and proxy wars. You have the two bigger nations that are technologically superior and you know you can give the Mujahideen, you know, shoulder-fired uh, thermal missiles that they can't. I mean, they're goat herders and they're in flip-flops, mm-hmm. but we're giving them these like hyper-advanced rockets to shoot down aircraft that are beyond anything they can understand. And we're doing it for our own purposes. Maybe it's, and you can justify, you know, scratch my back, scratch yours. Maybe the, maybe the jihadists get, you know, clean water and penicillin. I don't know. You see it in Vietnam, North, South Vietnam, North, South Korea, right? Or I guess off Korea, whatever it was during the Cold War. But we see these things, right? You can see us right now. We're going to help out Ukraine. It's not us, but we're going to help them out. You know that when we've got soldiers in Taiwan, and, you know, we it's all wildly speculated that or it's speculated that China is, you know, they have their hand up uh, North Korea's ass as a sort of puppet. So but what is let's let's, let's just look at what it is. It's these more advanced nations using their advanced technology to give to lesser advanced nations and lesser advanced peoples who aren't read into the big picture because it kind of benefits them. They get some cool stuff. Maybe they get some money. Maybe they can get a green card to the United States. But we're also getting what we want, and it's beneficial for us not to show our hand. If that can happen once, and it's happening right now, it's 2022, it's just what it is, proxy wars. Why can't that go up one level further? Why can't there be something manipulating the U.S. or the Soviet Union or China? Does that mean it's aliens and flying saucers? Or does that mean it's it's do we have the wrong image and it's not you know it's not Roswell craft or Independence Day shit, but rather outside this dimension and they operate in some weird way where they can 
you know, maybe that they, they rub your back, they give you the, the blueprints for, you know, a fusion reactor or whatever, or gain a function research, whatever. Why wouldn't that happen? If we can see that we do it, if we can, if, if we know that we can give the Mujahideen thermal, thermally guided rocket, heat seeking rockets that are fired from your shoulder and they're in a sand desert barren wasteland, why couldn't that happen one level up? To me, that's just an extrapolation. That's not like a, a crazy idea. It's literally taking where we are now and just repeating it again. So with those entities that live outside our dimension, or technically I would imagine all dimensions interrelated, but they're conscious of us and we're not necessarily conscious of them, except what you said, that they are conscious of them. Doing their bidding... Right, they, the 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 evil one that feeds off the violence wants violence. Do we just are we continually playing into its hand by becoming violent? Do, and is this just out of touch, like hippie shit, or do you have to go just like Gandhi or MLK and just be like, we're not playing the game anymore, and thus start feeding like a god that maybe feeds on love and empathy, and. Or am I getting into the whole do fish feel pain kind of thing? Well, there is a love that feeds. Uh, there's a god that feeds on love, sort of. Um, that's Lanesh, the god of excess. Yeah. Oh, god. Uh, yes. Oh, god. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a uh, god of perversion as well and, you know, ritualistic rape and stuff. <laughs> so it's all fucked. <laughs> Now, that's one of the other things about um, 40k. The, the idea of the warp, the, the immaterium chaos, is that the stronger the emotion, the better for them, which is why it always heads in an evil and excessive direction. Because, all right, you could say that corn might take pleasure from BDSM and somebody having fun in their bedroom, all right, but he'd take a lot more power if they were actually killing each other. So, naturally, he, wanting a larger meal will want to push it further and further and further. And that's the same for Slanesh, the uh, god of theoretically love. Yeah, and it's always easier to create violence than it would be to create, you know, to create that strong emotion of love. It takes a lot of work, a relationship, you know, a mutual mutual respect and, and, and effort put into it versus, or, you know, if I want to build this podcast and, make it more well-known. I got to get better guests, got to have a wide range of guests, got to make it fun for everybody, got to do what I like. Or I can become famous in the next five hours. I can go buy a gun and walk into a shopping mall. It's like, yeah, which then got then has to make you think, is the love God in cahoots with the evil God? And he's going, hey, I'll let you enjoy this indulgence because the evil God knows in the long term that indulgence is going to lead to just total war and chaos an indulgence that leads to more indulgences god so is there is there any is there any chance for peace in this universe in the in in warhammer or no none absolutely none Uh, none none oh we're also being invaded by uh by bugs by the way who want to eat us because that's all they do so what the Tyranid is an insectoid alien species from outside our galaxy. And as far as we know, they've eaten everything else in the universe, and we're next on the menu. 
So maybe you do just have to become the most lethal motherfucker to ever exist. That is the that is the question. Forty K posits. Yes. Does the does the god that feeds on violence does it eat us in the end or does just our emotions? So it doesn't want to kill us, right? Well, um, to add a little bit extra horribleness. Um, every human, when they die, have their soul, uh, which exists, be thrown into the immaterium where it is immediately torn apart and eaten by warp predators. So. <laughs> it's a pretty dark universe. So in that universe, then, where there is truly no winning. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't you there just is, um... throw your hands up and say, fuck it, I'm going out into the woods. I'm, I'm, I don't give a shit. Fuck you all. If I'm, if I'm nice, I die. If I'm mean, I die. At a certain point, why don't you just go, fuck it, I'm going to go meditate next to a waterfall. Come and kill me. Well, that is part of the question too, isn't it? Like, yeah. if you are in a life and death situation, yeah. do you roll yeah. over or do you resist? Or do you say, fuck it? Do you just go out and be like, I'm going to be a hobbit. I don't give it. I'm going to go fucking walk around barefoot and smoke pot. No matter what, I end up thrown into the immaterium and raped and eaten. I didn't say raped. I threw that in. Just de- probably raping. Probably. If, if it doesn't matter, though, it doesn't matter. You either you either give to the excess god or you give to the violence god. If no matter what, you're thrown into the immaterium, and as we are now speculating, being raped before being torn apart, why wouldn't you just do what makes you feel best? And maybe the thing that makes you feel best is go, I don't want to be part of the lethal thing. I don't want to. I want to go be Buddha. Well, there again comes in the question, because even if, and bearing in mind that most people do not know the Holy Materium thing in the 41st millennium, even if you did know that the struggle was futile, I still maintain that there is, there is value in the struggle itself. Sure. The act of resisting the sure. forces of evil is in and of itself a virtuous act. Now, whether or not you will choose to be virtuous, that's a different question. No, I mean, I'm, I'm personally, I don't think I would do the Buddha thing. I, I, I like struggle. I like working against it. I don't necessarily think I'm, I'm gonna, you know, with my little podcast interviewing doctors, I don't necessarily think I'm gonna put a dent in like the World Economic Forum or, or the United States Military Industrial Banking Pharma Complex or the CCP. But to me, there is something self-renewing, kind of a, a daily fountain of, of mental youth that I get from going, at least I'm not quitting. Like, at least maybe I'm the only soldier walking up onto Normandy. But at least I'm fucking doing it. And that does get me out of bed. There is a point in the struggle in and of itself. And it's also good to see that we are we are gaining ground every day. In many ways, the Voldemort virus may have been very beneficial to us because it was a very mask-off moment for a lot of very left and very authoritarian governments around the world. And like I said, when everyone's fat and happy and content, you can take a lot of shit and just shrug. Like, okay, so YouTube is censoring someone. Meh. Okay, so the government is spending money. Meh. But once your groceries start going up in price, once your electricity goes up in price, this is something that happens in Norway right now, we produce 
plenty of electricity for our own consumption. But since we got an international pipeline sending the electricity out of the country, our electricity prices soared. They skyrocketed. And people were suddenly looking at ridiculous bills and going, hold the hell on. Now we need to have a conversation. And the same going on in Canada right now with the brave truckers, for example. Mm -hmm. People got sick of the mandates. They got sick of the tyranny. And finally, you hit that pain threshold where people are, hold on now. Okay, now this is enough. We're going to have to do something. I personally am of the mindset, and it's not to make light of the millions who died. I personally am of the mindset that COVID was probably beneficial to the liberty of man at large. I, 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 ironically enough, on like a meta scale, like an infection, it kicks the immune system into overdrive. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. I'm with you 100%. I think it pulled the mask off. You now have people. Inv- Again, I just want to talk about UFOs and J- JFK and did the aliens build the pyramids. But now I'm doing interviews with the inventor of the mRNA vaccine. Like it pulls people into it that. I don't give a shit. Okay, you know, now my now my microwave dinners are like four times the price and I can't and you know, so I get I get kicked off. It's all right. All right. What the fuck is going on? I I think overall we'll see it as a benefit. Uh, decades down the road, I think it will be seen as a benefit. It might be the thing that finally wakes up a lot of people. Because previously, it it has all been so very very subtle. Mm-hmm. Like if you haven't been in the know, if you haven't been active in the various subcultures or fandoms, etc., and seeing all of this up close, you could be forgiven to believe that everything is business as usual. Because again, most of it hasn't affected normal people. Yeah. Like, okay, yeah, there's the voting laws have gotten a little bit weirder. A lot of things have been outlawed. Like, things have happened, but until it affects you directly, a lot of people just aren't going to notice. Simple as. Like, we are living in nations of millions and millions of people. Like, the U.S., what, 300 million people? It, it needs to be something major for a significant proportion of those to wake up and realize what's going on. Now, the the Trump philosophers, too, was an excellent uh, thing there because he was a person that just a regular dude. Like he was in many ways a bit of the American dream. Just some buffoon who yeah. came out and went, no, I want to be president. Yeah. yeah. Screw all of you. I want to be president. And people are like, yeah, maybe you should be president. Okay. Yeah. Well, the dice. Like, you are Hillary. Jesus. Yeah. As, <laughs> I'll take anyone, frankly. Yeah. As Tim Dillon said, like it or not, Trump, Trump is the most American, um, the most American American to ever live. He's... <laughs> He's got a fake tan. He lives in a gold palace on top of a skyscraper in the biggest city. He's married to a supermodel and he owns a beauty pageant and he puts his name yep. on everything and he eats yep. McDonald's on a private plane. He's yep. like it or not, guys. He is us. He is us. It's we don't like it because the mirror is not lying. It's it's a beautiful thing in many ways. It, it actually genuinely is. He is a man of the people, warts and all. and Yeah, yeah, warts and all. The beauty of this too is that I am very happy to finally see more and more people waking up to the fact that we don't like politicians. We don't like journalists. We don't like the media class because these have been idealized for a very long time now. They have been lionized. 
used, despite their many horrific flaws. Like, there sh- in my opinion, there should be no dirtier occupation than a career politician. Nothing should be lower on the totem pole. Like, what, you're a career politician? So you're a habitual liar that screws me out of my money. Go away. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I mean, but again, it, it seems like, I mean, even, and this is where I'll lose some people, but I mean, I I stayed up and watched the 2020 election, and I think that was the most fucky thing I'd ever seen in my life. And I'm someone who voted for a Republican twice, and I'm someone who's voted for a Democrat twice. I've voted in four elections. So I'm not even lifelong one or the other. But man, but so even that, though, look at the tightening of voting laws and voting regulations and mail-in ballots and everything. Even what we're seeing, let's let's take it away from 2020. Let's just look at the the suppression of early treatment for the... uh, for the Voldemort virus, right? You can't you uh-huh. can't use these things, and but Pfizer's putting up what did they make thirty six point five billion last year, the most profitable year on record. Maybe you needed to pull the mask off, and in a weird way, it's like when people only hang out with people who believe the same things as them. You can they and maybe and maybe your distance. Maybe you have some friends that all believe X, and then like one day you kind of go and like join in their little group chat and you're like oh you guys are kind of becoming like radical like you guys aren't you know left or right it's like or atheist or whatever theist you're like oh you you guys are kind of drifting like genetic drift like uh the galapagos islands when there's no other forces and they're just out there it just goes off in a left field and that's where you get these weird funky animals with Uh that these institutions that have been doing this stealth war, not just the CCP, but the actual, you know, American elitists that have been needling away for decades, but everything's been fine because it's 99 cents to go put a burger in your ass at McDonald's and you can get an SUV that weighs a thousand tons and takes more like oil than a cruise ship, but everything's good because the problems exist on TV and you can just turn it off. And as Bill Hicks would say, watch American Gladiator, watch these pituary retards beat the shit out of each other. You can kind of just drool yourself to sleep on McDonald's and Budweiser. And Absolutely can. as those groups that were needling away at our liberties and freedoms and wealth for decades, they are not as careful anymore because they have kind of gone off on their own genetic drift. They have become radicalized. They're not the same manipulators of the 50s and 60s who are very cautious now they say the quiet part out loud. They forget to take down their, their Lenin poster when they're doing an interview. I think that has also helped is you're now seeing them for what they really are. And they don't even know that they're showing who they really are because they've been doing it for so long. It's just, it's just drifted. It's just drifted to now where they're radicals. Whatever's going on, I don't, necessarily know if in the long run it will be bad i think it could be good it might i don't know it might vote into just total war and the end of earth who knows i think whether it's censorship the corruption of the fda and the cdc and the who or in everything in between i'm not sure if this is all totally bad it might be a part of civilization writing itself again you know ups and downs it's entirely possible. Yeah. Only time will tell. So 
got to wrap this up in like 10 minutes and we're absolutely going to have to do a part two because I think we barely touched on Warhammer is so with Warhammer though, in that struggle, right? The, 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 the benefit of the struggle itself. Sometimes it's not about losing 30 pounds. It's about the daily loss of a 10th of a pound and the mindset of I did this, I used discipline, I am delaying gratification. There is a benefit in that. As as it, as as the the struggle goes in this universe, the, the Warhammer universe, is there any noticeable change in any progress they make? Like at, at any point, does the the front line move farther from quote unquote home? Does are the are the analogous the metaphorical groceries are they cheaper or is it all just hell through and through well the thing with 40k at least um, originally was that they were a lot of smaller stories like you would have self-contained stories who could have good or bad endings they were all the microcosmos within the greater whole and that was what could keep people interested like okay this character has a story arc that could end good or bad cool this character has another story arc, which may end good or bad. And the storyline as a whole was very static, like the overall state of the galaxy as a whole, because it's it's a story measured in tens of thousands of years. It's very slow to move anywhere. Recently, however, the owners GW have decided to upend a lot of that, and um, one of the, the Primarchs, the superhuman generals who was dead, is suddenly back alive again. A character we've never heard of is suddenly inventing magical weapons and he's doing all kinds of bullshit and things are happening very rapidly. It's, in many cases, also a part, uh, an example of our current day society reflected in Games Workshop in that they suddenly started doing a lot of very extreme and weird shit coming out of complete left field, whilst also simultaneously starting to do the virtue signal where they denounce their own universe as evil because humanity is fighting for their existence. It's almost, um, the more 40K moves away from its roots of everything is war, everything is a struggle, the less it is becoming, in a weird way, wholesome. You think that more hope would be good, but the hope comes across as plasticky and fake and forced rather than sincere, hearkening back yet again to the idea that you need risk, you need hardship, you need a threat like what is a action movie without an action villain yeah you know? yeah and i think that's kind of where we find ourselves finally where we've we've had that static universe where nothing has happened and if anything we are finally starting to see a little bit of the light at the end of the tunnel as we did start struggling and that's the thing too the struggle is never pointless because you can never truly know how the story ends. Maybe humanity can win. And there was always this theory that the god emperor could also become a literal god because of how the immaterium works. If the immaterium reflects humanity, then surely it will reflect humanity's greatest god as well. So there's always hope. That's the beauty of it. Everything is dark and tragic, except for the spark of hope. And that is why you must struggle and continue to struggle is because it might work. Yeah, you don't know. <laughs> yeah, it can't definitively be zero. Or exactly. You just wouldn't, like, there is a chance. 
Like there is a chance. There are no absolutes. Yeah. You know, there is a chance the girl might take you up on the date. It's probably not going to happen. But there is a chance. And you'll never know if you don't try. You'll never know. And if that one doesn't work, well, there is a chance there's another girl. There is. Maybe it's delusion, man. Maybe it's a an immaterial carrot being dangled in front of us. But if that can make the subjective experience of life sweeter, as opposed to just pure, uh, what word am I looking for? Um, instead of pure despair and apathy, then who gives a shit? If the chance of it working gets you out of bed and makes your day rich. I take two days off a week. Five days a week, I get up, go to the gym, do a mile, lift weights, take a cold shower, meditate. I eat broccoli and chicken and green beans and diet. And I don't listen to podcasts. I don't listen to music. I just listen to audiobooks. I just try to constantly learn. Two days a week, uh, I get some beer and I get some fast food and I play video games and I sleep in and I don't go to the gym. By day two of my two days off, I'm already craving work again because there's something so much more deeply fulfilling about just grinding yourself to a dust and getting in bed at the end of the day and going, I fucking conquered. Yeah, but you can only grind if if there is the potential that it all pays off. That's true. And luckily, it does. That's the thing. Hard work has never disappointed anybody. Hell yeah. Is it Thomas Edison that said opportunity exists, but it's disguised as hard work? <laughs> Pretty fucking good one. Good quote. Yeah. Arch, closing thoughts. Let's wrap this one up because um, I've got another podcast in 10 minutes I got to get ready for. I would love to do another one with you, man. That was a fucking blast talking to you. I don't know how much 40K we got into. I don't give a shit. It was a great conversation. Um, closing thoughts, though? Closing thoughts. Well, I think uh, settings like 40K, like the, the the geekdom, fandom, stuff like this, is incredibly vital to us because it it tells us things that we should know, but we don't. It is it's a deeper idea. Like it's it's fun, it's engaging, it's interesting, it's cool, and it's also very good for your growth as a human being too. Like seeing what does humanity do at its worst, what does humanity do at its best, and exploring those ideas beyond cool warriors with giant guns. And it has been demonstrated during our current trials and tribulations that it is very important to protect these. And these are vital parts of us being able to function well in current-day modern society. And I think there is some light at the end of the tunnel. So do I. And it's, I think that's beautifully said. It's not, all, it's not all machine guns and Arnold Schwarzenegger-looking guys. Like, there is some, like, deeper implications. Not some. There's, the majority is, is deeper implications. Absolutely. Well, I will uh, thank you for having me on. Fuck yeah, man. Thanks for coming on. That was a blast. I, I didn't know a, a goddamn thing about it, but I thoroughly enjoyed that. Uh, I like someone that I can just kind of shoot the shit with. Send me an email with whatever you want me to put in the description, just links and everything, and I'll put that in there. And I will also email you, and I'd love to set up another podcast sometime, dude. Cool. Sounds good. All right, brother. Thank you so much. I'll send you this when it's uploaded. And um, yeah, thank you so much, man. Thank you for giving me time out of your day. And uh, can't wait for the next one, dude. 
Okay. Take care, my man. Take take care. Stay safe, everybody. Peace.